We are in the book of Acts, and we are talking about how the gospel advances in the book of Acts. And, and if you uh, have not been with us before, uh, I want to just let you know that you can go back to our website at fogkc.com and see uh, those, or not see, but hear those uh, previous sermons. And we have gone through the entire book of Acts uh, up to this particular chapter, chapter 20. Now, last week in, in uh, chapter 19, we saw Paul's ministry uh, during his third missionary journey in Ephesus. And last week we looked at his, what was happening in Ephesus. And you know, he had to leave Ephesus because of uh, an almost riot that took place because people were turning from the worship of false god Artemis and upsetting those uh, that were getting wealthy from the sale of her statues and her likenesses. Today, uh, as we talk about Paul in Troas and Miletus, in the first six verses of the 20th chapter, we're going to see kind of a rundown of the people that accompany Paul and the places he goes between Ephesus and Troas. So we're not going to read that. If you want to read that, you can read that part on your own. Uh, but it just basically says from what cities he's going to. And I apologize, this is the best map I could get, so I'm going to have to kind of explain it to you as we go. Uh, but this is a map of Paul's third missionary journey. Over here on the right, up at the top, this red line is where Paul went. It starts over here at Antioch, and as you can see, he went through Galatia, the green part there, and Asia, which is the yellow part, and where those two lines kind of start to meet there, they kind of come together, that northern city is Ephesus, and that's what we saw last week. The first six uh, uh, verses of chapter 20 talk about Paul going through uh, all of this area of Macedonia, going down to Greece, and then coming back and visiting those same churches back, and, and then where those two lines are exactly together and they come back to that one point. That's Troas. That's the city we're going to talk about right now. That's where Paul's at. We'll come back to this map you can't read here in a minute. Uh, but that's where Paul is at here as we look at chapter 20. Uh, now, this is an interesting um, uh, story that we're going to read. You know, many times in the, in the uh, uh, Gospels and in the Bible, when a story is told uh, from a historical viewpoint like this, the Bible is very clear on what the, the, the principle is. Uh, we tell this story because, or therefore, there's, there's words that connect it to a meaning. This, this story we're going to see in just a minute, it doesn't have anything like that. God is not really specific about what the purpose of sharing this story is with us. Uh, now, I'm, I'm, I try really hard to stick with the Word of God. And when the, when the Word of God says, here's the purpose of this story, here's the principle, I try to make it very, very clear uh, for us to understand. Uh, but I don't make up stuff. I try not, really hard not to make up things that aren't in the text. And so um, I just got to be honest with you up front. It's really hard to determine why God decides to share this. I, I'm thinking if I were Luke, uh, maybe the reason that Luke was thinking to share, and of course he was being led by God to write, uh, but but. Perhaps this was just one of those stories, you know, maybe a couple of months, and they go, man, I see how close some of you guys are, and you have these close, deep relationships, and I wish I had those with people, too. I don't have those, and I don't know it's gonna, if I can get them with people here. You can. The reason people have really close relationships here is because some of us have been together seven, eight, nine, ten years. We're coming up on our 10th anniversary as a church. And, and we, have, we have been in the trenches together. We have been on mission trips together. We have uh, dealt with life together. We have had the birth of our children together and marriages together and, and tragedies and deaths and all these things. And when you do life together, you just get close. And I wonder if, Paul, if uh, 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 Luke was just sharing this because he was just kind of saying, hey, um, you know, this is kind of one of those cool stories that we talk about. I was with some pastors this week, and, and uh, we were talking about ministry stories. 
And uh, if, if you ever talk, if you ever watched a bunch of fishermen talk together, you know, man, I caught this fish. It was this kind of, it was this big, and then it gets this big, and then they try to outdo each other. And you know, before you know it, some guy you know cut a whale on the head of a pin, and and he did all this kind of really cool stuff. And and uh, you know, pastors they get together and talk about these crazy ministry stories. Oh, you won't believe what happened when we went to here. But when we went to Haiti, you won't believe what happened. And when we went to to the Philippines, you won't believe what happened. And we talk about these crazy stories that happened in our ministry. I wonder if it's just doing life together. I don't know. Uh, but I say all that to just say, I don't have an answer for you. Not really, because the Bible's not clear. But I think it's a really interesting story. Let's talk about it. And we see here that a guy named Eutychus is raised from the dead. Now the circumstances around that are interesting. Uh, we've seen other people in the book of Acts raised from the dead, but we haven't seen anything like the circumstances that surround Eutychus's death. Let's look at it here in chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. It says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus was sitting at the window. He sank, oh, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, he said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. They were greatly comforted. So we see here uh, this story. First, we see that the practice of meeting as believers on Sunday instead of the Saturday Jewish Sabbath has now become the norm of the church. This is an interesting transition that we see in the book of Acts. If you remember, uh, the Jewish believers at the beginning of the book of Acts were still meeting on the Sabbath. And they were worshiping together on the Sabbath. But uh, after the resurrection, they began to move that to, to Sunday. Now listen, there's no command in the scripture that says you must worship on Sunday. But to, to correlate with the resurrection, to celebrate that, uh, and, and remember the, the uh, uh, Jewish council that took place in the book of Acts, when they were trying to argue about the fact, uh, uh, are Christians really just Jews on steroids? You know, uh, do you have to become a Jew to really become a follower of Jesus Christ? And the answer to that, of course, was no. You do not have to be connected uh, into Judaism to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so through the book of Acts, you see this transition that takes place, uh, something that, that seemed to be a very Jewish, uh, because it was, you know, Jesus was a Jew, the disciples were Jews, it was born out of Judaism, but you can see that it's transitioning out of it uh, clear through the book of Acts. And we see here that they were, they were worshiping on Sunday, the first day of the week. I point that out just to help you see where these changes take place so we can understand them. Uh, now we see that because it was Paul's last sermon to the church, we don't know that yet, but you'll, you'll hear about that here in just a minute. It was Paul's last sermon to the church in Troas. He preached a long sermon. Now he may have started, we don't know what time exactly in the morning he started, but he preached till midnight. Now I know some of you think I get long-winded at about uh, 11.40, 11.45. I see you looking at your watch and holding your stomach, and, and you think I'm preaching long. I have never preached till midnight. And I know that if I did probably know we would be here at midnight except me and probably my wife that would be it she would support me but otherwise the rest of you would so these and, and of course but I but I have to be honest with you 
uh, uh, my preaching is not probably near as good as Paul's. So maybe that's a correlation we can talk about together. I don't know. But, but here's the point. Here's the point. Paul was preaching to them, and these people were, were enthralled with it. And they listened to the word of God coming out of Paul's mouth. They heard him speak about the gospel. And they were, they were into it until midnight. And the Bible says there were many lamps. And the, 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 the inference there is that there were many lamps because it was a large house and there were a lot of people there. There was just a lot of people there listening to Paul preach. And this guy named Eutychus is sitting in the window listening. And he begins to drift off. Now, uh, as a pastor, I know what that looks like. When somebody begins to drift off, and they don't mean to. I know that some of you work weird hours, and you come in here, you're, you're exhausted. I get that. But we know what that looks like. People are looking at you, and then it goes, are they, are they praying, or are they starting to drift off? Oh, no, no, they're starting to drift. And their eyes begin to close, and their head begins to weave a little bit. And then if their eyes roll back in their head, you know they're gone for good, and maybe their wife will nudge them. But I can imagine Paul preaching this great sermon that people are listening to. And this poor guy, Eutychus, uh, he probably has a job where he works nights or something. He's sitting in the windowsill, and he's starting to drift off. And, and, and finally, he drops out of the window. It just happens to be a third-story window. And he falls to his death. Wow. Now, I can honestly say, while I have put a few of you to sleep, I have never killed anybody in a service. Okay? So Paul goes down, and, 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 and he puts his arms around him, and he says, listen, don't be alarmed. His life is in him. And he raises poor Eutychus from the dead. Now, Paul continued having fellowship with the believers there until morning. The Bible said that they, were, they talked, and they, they, they had a conversation until morning. And then we don't see what happens. That's the end of the story. The Bible doesn't say Paul took off from Troas, these guys, none of that. He just, that's the end of the story. So honestly, when I go back, I say, I can't really tell you um, what the absolute biblical principle is here in this story, except maybe that it's don't fall asleep in church. I don't know, okay? But maybe that's it. But I think it's an interesting story, and it's, it's interesting because this is the kind of ministry that these guys have been doing. Listen, this is not an unusual situation. I mean, the guy falling out of a third-story window might be. But them raising people from the dead, speaking the word of God and people listening. Uh, folks, th- when you look at the Christians of that day and the Christians in our culture of our day, it's a very different picture. But we see how committed they were. Now, at the end of that time, let me put up this map again you can't see, uh, they leave Troas, where those two lines connect, and, and Paul travels down here through the water, and then where those two lines get close again, that's the city of Miletus. And just north of that, where they're close, that's the city of Ephesus. And so Paul goes to the city Miletus. And let's pick up there what happens. Uh, uh, what happens really is, is he wants to talk to the elders of the church at Ephesus. Again, that's the church that he spent three years at. He spent, spent longer time at Ephesus than any other church that we know of. And so this was a very, very, very dear church to him. And so instead of going back to Ephesus and creating another riot, he sends for the elders from Ephesus to come just 50 miles south to the city of Miletus to meet him. And so let's just talk about what happens here. First of all, Paul kind of gives them their farewell. He's going to tell them goodbye for good. And we'll see that in the text here in just a minute. But I want you to know Paul goes through kind of a laundry list of things. And the first thing he does is he recalls his ministry. Look at Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 21. Here's what it says. 
It says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul kind of gives them a rundown and recalls his ministry. He reminds them of his faithful ministry in the midst and the face of persecution. Now, was Paul being braggadocious here? Saying, hey, let me just remind you of all the great things I did among. No, of course not. That's not his way. That's not what's in him. He's trying to help them. He's, he knows that this is going to be the last time he's with these pastors, these pastor elders. And he says, hey, listen, I want you to remember what I did because I modeled for you. I did this so you could see what you need to do. Now, we should all be involved in faithful ministry that we could defend if we had to. What I mean by that is, if somebody ever asks us the question, well, what have you ever done for the kingdom of God? What have, what have you ever done for Jesus and his ministry and his purpose and his mission? We should be able to say, well, here's a list. Here's what I've done. Not in a way to brag about ourselves or take some kind of credit for it. It should just be a fact, folks. It should just be uh, on our resume as a believer of Jesus that we have been faithful in serving the body of Christ. And that's what Paul's telling me. He said, I want you to remember I've done this. He mentions that he didn't hold anything back, but he continued to preach the gospel in the face of the persecution from the Jews. In fact, Opposition didn't slow him down or change his message. It made him bolder. Every time opposition came against him, he spoke the word of God more boldly. Now, uh, you know, I don't know how this works for us, but, but do all of us do that? When we come against persecution, do we, do we speak up for Jesus more? Or do we cower back? Do we step back? He reminds them that his message was pretty simple. He said, remember what I taught you. Now, now remember, he, he was with them for three years. And he's going to say, let me remind you what I taught you. He could probably have, have read off 386 lessons that he taught them in three years. But here's what he said. When it all comes down to it, this is what I taught you. Repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. You see, don't forget that I taught you all this stuff and the foundation of all of it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do we come together here and sing? Because God sent his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins. Why do we, why do we take an offering and use that money to expand God's kingdom? Because God loved us enough to send his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins. Why do we, why do we love each other when, when sometimes we kind of irritate each other? because God loves us enough to send his son Jesus to pay for our sins. Folks, everything we do, the foundation of it should be the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, guys, I want to remind you, as you now become the only, because I'm going to be off the scene here in a minute, as you become the only pastor elders of this church in Ephesus, this church that I love, don't forget that everything has to be foundationally connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That should be the reason we do everything that we do. 
And by the way, as we talk and teach others about that message, it should always come from a place of love, not a place of criticism or meanness or obnoxiousness. It should always come from a place of love. Because I love you, I want you to hear the gospel. Because I love you, I want you to be connected with Jesus and his kingdom. After he recalls his ministry, then Paul has a gospel goodbye. Now that might be a new term to you, but we're going to start using that term around here a little more often, and I'll kind of share with you the context as we talk. But, but Paul has a gospel goodbye here. Look what it says in verses 22 through 27. It says, and now, and this is Paul continuing to talk, and now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Here Paul is telling them goodbye, and we see that he intends this to be his very last goodbye to them. First he tells them that the Holy Spirit is compelling him to go back to Jerusalem, but he also knows that imprisonment and persecution await him in every city. Now, now, folks, this is challenging to me. When I say, I'm going to come to church this morning, the sacrifice of that is waking up early, preparing a sermon, taking a shower because I love you all, uh, uh, and coming to church, making time to be here, not going to the lake but coming here. and That's the sacrifice. Paul is saying, listen, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem because God's called me to do it. And, and God's also shared with me that I'm going to, I'm going to be facing imprisonment or, or persecution in every city I stop in. Now, the reality is for many of us, we don't understand sacrifice. Not really. It, it would be like God saying, I'm going to call your children to be missionaries in Africa. But you're going to lose one of them. I'm going to call you to do a ministry, but your current friends are going to disown you. I mean, if we talk about sacrifice, Paul's saying, I'm going to get a beating in every city. I'm going to be in prison in every city, but I'm going to do it anyway. How many of us would run from that kind of request? How many of us would say, God, I love you, but man, I don't love you that much. I think it's something we should ask ourselves. Paul then shares why he can do that. And this is key, folks. This is key to our understanding of life. He says he has an eternal perspective on life. He says, my life isn't of value to me. It has no precious intrinsic value by itself. He just wants to be sure to finish the job that Christ gave him. Now, is Paul dealing with some kind of uh, a pastoral depression here? And got a bad self-image? Not at all. Not at all. What he's saying is, folks, you either have a worldly view of life, 
or you have an eternal view of life, and you can't have both. You cannot have both. And it affects every area of our lives. If, if we look at our time, we say, you know what, I, I'm going to invest my time in worldly things. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want, with who I want. It's just going to all center around me, 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 me. Or I say, no, I'm going to have an eternal perspective on life. And my time is going to be invested in things that are eternal. Things that are really important. Things that connect to people's eternal souls and the kingdom of God. We can talk about our money, any resource that we have, our energy, everything that we have. Do we have a physical, worldly view of life? Or do we have an eternal life? And Paul, all Paul's saying is, look guys, I don't consider my life valuable to me because I don't have this worldly view. I have an eternal view. I'm, I'm more set on completing the task that God has given me than even sparing my own life. That's a lesson for us, folks. Are we that committed to the mission and the purpose of God that we would set aside our own lives and our own perspectives on everything that we do, everything that we see, touch, feel, and hear, will we put that aside for the things that are really of eternal value? Paul did. And then in light of that, he says, and by the way, I hope you have an eternal view too because this is the last time you're ever going to see me. Folks, they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Skype. When he said, today is the last day you're ever going to see me, he meant that. And we're going to find out that it was the last day they ever saw him. This church that he loved, this church that he invested three years of his life in, he's telling these pastor elders, these leaders of this church, I'm never going to see you again, by the way. And then he says, I'm innocent of the blood of any men in Ephesus because he is to preach the gospel. And in fact, the whole counsel of God, he says, to anyone who would listen. He says, their blood's not on my hands. What he's saying here is, look, guys, when I went to Ephesus, I preached the gospel to everybody, Jews and Greeks. It didn't matter. I preached to everybody. And the ones that wanted to receive Christ, they've done so. The ones that don't want Christ, the ones that have rejected Christ, their blood is not on my hands. It's on theirs. I'm innocent of their blood. This is a reminder for us, folks. It is not up to us. It is not up to us to change the heart of anybody else. We can't force people into the kingdom of God. We are responsible, however, to share the gospel with them and then let them make their decision. Listen, there are some very dear people in my life that I have shared the gospel with that have currently, or up till now, re rejected Jesus Christ, and I continue to pray for them. But, but their blood's not on my hands. In fact, there are some of you sitting in this room that I've shared the gospel with several times, and up till today, you haven't actually given your life to Christ. Folks, that's on you. It's not on anybody else. By the way, you know how to take care of that. Just finally give in. Paul's telling them goodbye for good, these people that he loves and are so dear to him. Our church needs to tell people goodbye more often. We need to have more gospel goodbyes around here. As we move to a church that is going to be planting more churches and sending more people out and seeing the gospel spread through our city and through our community, through our area, hopefully through our nation and our world. We need to have more of these gospel goodbyes. What I mean by that, folks, is listen, 
I'm praying that some of you that I love dearly, that are some of my best friends, will leave this church to go plant another church and, and, and continue growing the kingdom of God. Folks, we cannot have this attitude that we are here to hoard and, and, and hug each other till Jesus comes. I know that feels great. You are my family. I, I hope I'm part of your family. I, I, that's awesome. But folks, if we do that, all we're going to do is collect a few people here. We're going to keep adding people to the kingdom. And, and that's all we'll ever do. I don't want to keep adding to the kingdom. I want to multiply to the kingdom. And what that means is some of you here are going to have to be sent out. I want, people to, I want this church to grow. And the reason I want it to grow is because I want people to come here who are far from God. I want them to, to hear the gospel and give their lives to Christ. I want them to be discipled by, by some of you. I want them to grow to the place where God sends them out and then they leave our church to go plant another church and see that same thing happen somewhere else. We are going to have to, I, I think it's really important for us to prepare our hearts to say goodbye to some of our best friends in this church who we hope will be called to go plant a church somewhere else. That's a, that's a mind shift, it's a heart shift for us. But that's what these people were doing with Paul. They're saying goodbye for good because of ministry. Before he goes, he has a charge for the elders, he has some, some advice for the elders. And we, we see that in verses 28 through 35. Here's what it says. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold for apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So what does he say to the elders before he goes? He's just told them, hey, listen, I'm getting ready to leave and you're never going to see me again. But before I go, listen up. Now, folks, when somebody tells you, I am never going to see you again after this moment, but I got one or a couple of things to tell you before I go, those are important things. Those are really important things that he's going to say. So here's what he says to him. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. He says, watch out for yourselves, guys. Pay attention to yourself and to the flock that you're in charge of. He said, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Our church is an elder-led, elder-run church. There are pastor elders in this church that are overseers of the body. And that is a great, great responsibility, folks, it's a great responsibility. He says, pay attention, watch out, be careful, look out for them. He says, care for the church of God because it was bought with Christ's blood. 
Why is the body of Christ so precious? Why is the flock so precious? And, and we as pastors should handle it with such great responsibility? Because it was bought, not with money. It was bought with the blood of Jesus. And now he's asking us to look after it. He said, watch out for wolves that are going to come in among you. And by the way, some are probably already there. And they're going to be teaching twisted things. And they'll try to draw the disciples after them. He says, be alert for those people. Now, we uh, sometimes in, in this culture today, sometimes people come to our church and they say, why do you have membership? Like there's a lot of churches that don't have membership anymore. You know, people kind of kind of float in and out and they kind of go there. And if they go enough to feel like it's their church, they say it's their church. But then they float away and nobody notices they're gone. And they just kind of float we have membership. You can come here and be an attender till Jesus comes, and we're perfectly fine with that. If you want to be an attender, great. We'd love for you to attend. But the moment you say, I want to be a member, I want to plant my flag with this body, that's a whole different deal. Here's why. Because we as elders are responsible to look after you. Now we, okay, Theoretically, we want to look after everybody and the whole, you know, all, everybody in Parkville, we just want to look after everybody. We, we love everybody. We, I got that. But we're responsible to take care of and watch out for the sheep in this pen. And so he says, watch out, because people are going to come in, they're going to try to twist things, make them look really nice. Listen, I, I, in the 10 years of our church, it's happened more than five times at least. I'm just thinking of how many hands to hold up. It's happened way more than five times that we've had to go to somebody and say, hey, um, we're hearing stuff about what you're saying in your community group or in your core group. Tell me what you think about this. And they share with us some totally and completely twisted thinking on something really important. And we go, okay, hang on. Uh, we, we, need to, we need to straighten that out. Let's look at the scripture together. Let's reason together with God's word and see what the word of God says. And if we can reason with them and help them to see from God's word what it says, great. But if we can't, they say, yeah, I don't see it that way. Just don't see it that way. And I'm not talking about all the peripheral things on the side, guys. I'm talking about the hills to die on, okay? Uh, somebody comes to our church and says, yeah, I don't really believe in the virgin birth. That's... That, that, that changes everything. That, that changes the gospel. That changes who Jesus is. It changes everything. Okay? So somebody comes to our church and starts teaching that or espousing that. It's always, we, we put that down. We, we stop that. Not because we're power-hungry goofballs. Okay? But we're protecting the sheep. We take that seriously. And Paul's telling these guys, he says, in fact, he says the second time, Be alert. And what, that, what those words mean is to have this kind of posture. This is the posture. He's saying, look out. Because you don't know where they are. You've got to watch out for them, man. They're going to sneak in among you. Watch out for them. Look for them. Be careful. He's, I mean, he's that serious about it. And now he says to them, and now I turn you over to God. I've spent my time with you. I've discipled you. I've taught you. I've invested in you. I did that for three years. And now... I just trust you to God because you're not going to see me anymore. He says, I've worked hard and I've used my hands for labor. Paul was bivocational many times during his ministry. And he says, and by the way, before I leave, don't forget the weak and the poor. We're talking about all these big uh, theological things, but, but just don't forget the weak and the poor. Jesus said to take care of them too. Then he prays and he leaves. 
in Acts chapter 20, verses 36 through 38. We see Paul has his last words with the Ephesians. Here's what he says. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him, accompanied him to the ship. So after Paul had shared all this with them, they prayed together, they kissed each other, and they walked him to his ship that would take him away forever from them. Why did they, why did they weep? Well, they were sad. This man had invested so much in them. Listen, I don't know if you uh, think this way, but, but the people that shared the gospel with me and my youth pastor that invested probably five, six years deeply in my life as a high school student. I mean, he taught me the, the truth about God's word and how to study it and all these things. I have a really, really deep love for that man. He, he gave his life to help me be who I am today. And every, every single win... At Fellowship of Grace, he has a little tiny piece and part of because I wouldn't be who I am today in the ministry if it weren't for him. And so this man that came to Ephesus, shared the gospel with them, invested his life in them, uh, discipled them, taught them how to be elders and pastors. Now he's leaving them for good, and they love this man. They're going to miss him. But they give him up to the ministry. They prayed corporately, probably thanking God for Paul, for his ministry, and also for what was to come for him and for themselves being now alone. Folks, as we see these things happening historically in the book of Acts, we need to take lessons from them. We need to see that in our future, hopefully, there are coming some gospel goodbyes where people are, 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 are here, knelt, we're sending them out, we're praying for them, we're weeping, now listen, we can, I know we got an advantage today. We can Skype, we can see them on Facebook, we can talk and stuff, all that stuff. It's not like we're never going to see them again. But it's, you know, when somebody leaves our church and they say, oh, we'll get together. Uh, you know, Evan and Farrell Lang just moved to Lee Summit. They've been in our church for eight or nine years. Uh, and of course, we said to each other, hey, we'll get together. We'll, and we, our intentions are good, but, but it's not like seeing each other every week. It's not like hanging out every week at church and praying together and talking about your needs and your kids and your life. It's just different. And I'll be honest with you. I'll be transparent for just a moment. I'll be honest with you. I have prayed and said, God, we want to send out our very best and brightest. We don't want to send out just the worst. Okay? We want to send out the best and the brightest to start churches and plant churches. And I have had to pray and say, God, I, I just I come to you and I give up everybody in this church. They all belong to you. I give up everybody in this church to you to take away from here, if that's your will, except Derek. <laughs> Derek and I have been together now for 10 years in ministry. We are we are, we've talked in the last couple of months about how, we, as we've really been looking closely at church planting and church plants, almost every church plant where a guy parachutes into an area by himself, almost all of those fail. Almost 100%, not quite, but almost 100% of them fail, which means they close within five years. The church plants that start with two or three elders 
who partner together and are good balances for each other. Now, Kendall's a big part of our elder, elder team too. But Derek and I are like, if you know us, our, our, our gifts, our personality, they're like opposite of each other. We are, you know, he completes me in the ministry. You know, uh, he, he's my Jerry Maguire. Uh, you know, and, and, and honestly, I've had to think in terms of, I've had to think in terms of, God, what if you call Derek? And by the way, this isn't some like, I'm letting you down easy because he's, that's not it. Okay, so don't worry about that. Don't go asking these penitentiary. But, but having to just say to myself, am I really okay with this? I don't know that I am, God. But I have to be. I, I have to be. If I take seriously what we just read, the mission and the purpose of God have to be more important than my ease in ministry. It has to be more important than my personal relationships. It has to be more important even than the relationships I've had with people in the trenches where we get close and we love each other and we care for each other and we, we just are. It has to be that way for all of us, folks. That's the lesson today. Prepare your heart. Prepare your mind that as God grows our church and we begin to send out teams of people to plant other churches, God's going to take some of your friends. And I want you to be okay with it. Be more than okay with it. Be excited about it. Because God's kingdom is growing and expanding, which is more important than any of us by ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that teaches us and guides us so clearly. Father, thank you for the model of Paul and for the Ephesian pastors. God, help us be a church that really lives with an open hand. We ask and challenge our members to live with their own finances with an open hand, ready to give and to be generous and not to close their fist and hold it back. God, help us as a church, even with our people, to live with an open hand, ready to give to your kingdom as you call and not hold on to them tightly. God, this is not about us building this kingdom. Keep our focus on building your kingdom, your way, with your people. Thank you, Father, that as we sang about this morning, we need you every hour. And we know that as we plant churches and we send people out and our church grows and we send more out, that we will just learn even in a greater way to depend on you. Thank you for reminding us that our dependence should be on you at every moment, at every hour.